Welcome to episode number 44 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast where we're creating a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. Today's episode, we're talking about preventing storage silo explosions during firefighting efforts. So this is a really important topic as we kind of continue to see response to dust fires as, a, as an ongoing issue, um, especially in storage silos. You can have issues with off gases collecting at the top of the silo. Uh, leading to an explosion if they're ignited, or you can have a dust explosion if the dust gets stirred up. And there's a lot of other aspects that kind of go under the radar when you see a, a storage silo fire that I want to highlight. A lot of this material is based on a report called Silo Fires, Fire Extinguishing and Preventative and Preparatory Measures. This is a report that's written by Henry Person of the SP Technical Research Institute of Sweden. So this this really great piece of research and work We'll include a link to the report in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 44, but it was financed by the Swedish Fire Research Board, the Center for Combustion Science and Technology, the Swedish Civil Contingency Agency, and several industry supporters as well. I know that a lot of groups, including WorkSafe BC, the Woodpell Association of Canada, have really taken hold of this research and this work of how to respond to to stored silo fires in a safe way to avoid knocking over the silo to really reduce the impact on the contents of the silo so you don't lose them all and to avoid explosions both off gas explosions and dust explosions during firefighting efforts here so uh, as i mentioned works bc and woodpell association of canada both picked these up early this year both actually hosted a, a co-event in january of 2019 specifically on silo fires. They, they invited Henry Person out to discuss um, this report and the findings. I know they're making big headway today in those industries against fighting silo fires. I've heard a, a quote from an industry member there that if, you, if they see a smoldering fire in one of these silos, in the old days, it was very, very hard to, to get that out. They very often would knock over the silo by filling it with water or something else that caused the pellets to expand, cause the pressure to rise and, and pull, push out the walls which basically destroys that silo, might uh, cause issues elsewhere in the facility, or you may have a big explosion where the roof blows off. Um, this is a hazard anyone who's standing, who's up on top of the, the silo trying to fight fires, trying to get access, trying to monitor any of those are sort of, uh, you know, typical kind of injury scenarios. And it's also a hazard for people on the ground. These roofs can be heavy, they can land. We had actually a, a small silo explosion here in Nova Scotia several months ago, and I think it was from a, an asphalt uh, mixing silo. So I think it was a, a gas explosion, but the roof landed of the silo landed on a car and nobody was injured, thankfully, but landed on a car that was parked four properties over. So maybe, so several hundred meters is how far it, it blew off. So this is a, a real issue when you're fighting these sort of fires. So why do we, why do we worry about preventing storage silo explosions in the first place or preventing or stopping these from escalating to larger incidents once a fire is detected? Well, as we, we said before on this this podcast, one of the, the big dangers in combustible dust is res, is responding to dust fires. We've seen this earlier this year in Clinton, Iowa, where one firefighter was killed fighting a grain silo explosion or fighting a grain stored silo fire, which led to an explosion. And we've seen several cases of this over the years um, in the incident database. So this is a, a real issue. And also not just firefighters, but response to workers can also be an issue in, in this area. What do you do when you detect either rising levels of carbon monoxide or combusting gases in your silo and realize that it has a fire? What are the steps you need to follow to safely put that out? So 
a lot of that is highlighted in this report. I would encourage the readers to go check that out. And what we're going to do in this episode is really a summary of that material. So we're going to skip a lot of the technical details, a lot of the really specific things. They, they cover what kind of nozzles to use, what kind of flow rates to use for their nerding environments, just step-by-step procedures. So I encourage you to look at the report. Again, the name is Silo Fires, Fire Extinguishing and Preventative and Preparatory Measures by Henry Person. And we'll include a link in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 44. So in terms of the overview we're going to give today, we're going to talk about just a general overview of, of stored silo fires, what those look like, how these incidents escalate, and what are some of the, the concerns of traditional firefighting methods. We're going to talk about steps to firefighting response. We're going to actually go through the port, all the steps that they mention, um, and just give a summary of those. We're going to go over some cautionary points and some select preventive and preparatory measures that is put in the the report by the authors, some ways that whole industries can really band together to improve the response to dust fires and silos and hopefully avoid having an explosion when you're fighting it or uh, have a case where you're losing a big part of your plant or even losing a big part of the product in the silo. So I want to start with a general overview of stored silo fires. We covered this previously in the podcast in episode eight with Todd Siefka from WorkSafe BC in an episode that was called Preventive Prevention and Response to Silo Fires. That was, gave a really good overview, and some of that will be reproduced here, but we'll just give a kind of a brief summary of silo fires just for the purposes of understanding the rest of this episode. So what are the different kinds of storage silos? There's, there's a number of different kinds. You have your typical tower silo, which is really a high concrete silo. These are small diameter, and they're usually grouped really close together. So you may have 10 or 15 or 20 or 50 of these all kind of put together in this kind of cell silo cell network. A difficulty here might be that accessibility to any one silo may be limited. It may be hard to get in there and actually fight a fire when it's it's going on. You also have freestanding steel or concrete silos. These can have very large diameters. I think these are sometimes called bins in, in industry, but the terminology, as Todd mentions in the previous episode, gets kind of murky. People call them by different names. You can also have these smaller bulk silos. So these are really for material management, truck unloading. You see them uh, at agricultural sites. Where they have a kind of a small, small silo for temporary storage loading onto trucks. Another one that we talked about a lot in episode eight was oxygen limiting silos. So these are completely sealed off, and this is to avoid oxidation of the materials that are inside. Um, and these have their own hazards that need to be dealt with, including you know low oxygen levels in the silo. Um, so if you're up, if you're trying to get access, then you're gonna have issues there. And then you have silage silos. So these are steel, five to eight meters in diameter. Filling extraction typically comes in from the top. So that's a brief summary. There's probably different classifications, different breakdowns. But I just wanted to, before we got into the firefighting methods, just give an idea of what these different types of silos look like. Really just to highlight that there are a bunch of different cases. And when you show up one silo fire, it's not going to be the same as the next one. How these fires get started, one is just by smoldering combustion. If you have material sitting, you have moisture levels in it for too long, that are too high, it will start to smolder. Um, you can also have external ignition sources where the ignition or smoldering or um, material that's already burning or on fire gets dumped into the silo, and then other material gets dumped on top, and this can lead to a, a seeded fire somewhere in the silo. There's some difficulties here because these, these fires tend to move around. As they burn, they may move down into the silo. If you're extracting or removing material, the way they're going to move depends on the flow characteristics of that material in the silo. So if you have a core flow, then it's going to be different than if you you're taking material out of one side, and you may not be able to predict how that smoldering fire is going to react, which is a big point that's highlighted quite a bit in the report. 
So why are fighting these fires so difficult then? Well, we already mentioned one, one point that's hard to identify where the fire is, how high up in the silo it is, and it's also hard to identify how it moves with time. But another big difficulty is just the amount of time before it's noticed. So a lot of time when you, you notice one of these, these smoldering fires, uh, once you smell the smoke or see the smoke, it's been smoldering for a long time, maybe a period of days, maybe even longer. And it takes a really long time to put them out. There's an example given in the report in Denmark in 1998, where they let the smoldering fire burn out, which isn't always recommended, but sometimes, the be- sometimes maybe the best practice, but it took 10 months. So this had a big impact on the environment, all those combustible gases being released, but also the nearby facilities and nearby residential housing. That's going to cause a lot of issues, um, which may you know, require going in and attacking that in a faster manner. But there's a lot of drawbacks to attacking in a faster manner, which we'll talk about in this, this next section here. So next I want to talk about how do they actually escalate. So there's a bunch of different things that are quite dangerous about having a, a fire in a silo. The first is having the chance of having a gas or a dust explosion in the headspace. So as the silage or, or the wood pellets or the material, the sawdust is burning, it releases combustion gases. And these due to in, incomplete combustion may have fuel left in them. So they may have carbon monoxide and other types of fuels. This can build up in the headspace. So you can have these off gases building up up there. Typically, it's a low oxygenated environment, so there's not much oxygen. But when a firefighter may go in then to, to open the hatch or open the roof or cut their way in, that may let enough oxygen in to have an explosive atmosphere and you have a, a big explosion. You can also have the case where you stir up dust and have a dust explosion instead of a gas explosion in that headspace. And you can also get the case where you have a hybrid mixture in headspace as well. Really, any sort of oxygen entrapment is quite dangerous here. If you're robbing on site and you cut into the side of one of these silos, then you're letting oxygen in. And this can cause a, a large explosion. Even if it doesn't cause an explosion generally, and I, there's a good a quote in the report here, but it's going to enhance how long the fire burns for. Really, one of the big steps they recommend is sealing off the silo quite a bit, as, as much as you can, to avoid any type of oxygen treatment. That decreases the risk of explosion, but also decreases how long the fire is going to burn for. And I found that quote here. It says, opening a silo to put the fire out through an open hatch often in combination with discharge of con- contents, is a poor strategy and often doomed to failure. The risk of personal injury is apparent, and that's from a, a potential flashover explosion. But he also goes on to say that the fire will probably end up causing a total loss of the silo and its contents. So if you want to have a case where you're going to save the contents of the silo, save the silo itself, and avoid an explosion, it's recommended not to open holes. It's actually recommended to close things off. And we'll get into that in the actual steps to fighting to a, a firefighting response later in this episode. So we talked about two ways the incidents escalate. One is gas buildup or dust explosion in the headspace. This can be ignited by ignition sources being entered during the firefighting effort, or you may have an actual open fire at the top of the silo if the smoldering combustion gets close enough to the surface. This is actually a really dangerous situation. We'll talk a bit about that in, in a moment because it requires a special care in firefighting efforts. But also the, the second way they escalate is just through to oxygen entrapment through openings that are put into the silo. Another way incidents escalate is that through people actually entering the building or, or opening, again, opening the hatches. A difficulty here is that the, the combustion gases or the gas inside the silo may be deoxygenated. They may not have enough oxygen in for, for people to breathe. They may also have CO or carbon monoxide, very likely have carbon monoxide, 
the question is, is it high enough to actually cause a person to to pass out and become unconscious? And this is an odorless gas. It's very dangerous and often very present in high quantities when you are um, have one of these sort of fires. So another way the incidents escalate, we mentioned this already, is having people, firefighters, going up to the top to gain access to the silo, to put out a headspace fire, to start uh, spraying water in, and we'll get into that in, in another in a moment on how these incidents escalate. But having people on top of the silo is very dangerous, should be discouraged at all costs. Um, when they are up there, they need to have full breathing apparatus on and, and have fire protective gear. There are a couple of traditional firefighting methods that have been applied in silo fires that actually can cause it to escalate as well. One of these is spraying water into the silo. Some of the material, particularly wood pellets, but also other materials, may expand quite a bit as the water gets absorbed. This may be enough to put pressure on the outer walls and collapse the silo. This is dangerous for people that are around the the burning silo, obviously, as the thing collapses. But it can also lead to a dust explosion. We've seen a couple of videos of this over the last couple of years where a silo collapse has led the dust to spill out, get stirred up, and actually ignite a, a full-blown flash fire um, or even a semi-fine dust explosion. The other case is the water actually fills the the uh, silo itself, and this can put uh, pressure on the walls as well, which can cause it to collapse. The other way that's traditionally or traditional firefighting method is to use carbon dioxide to as an inertant to try to inert the headspace. So this has a couple dangers associated with it. One, it can create more carbon monoxide gas. If you're not monitoring for carbon monoxide gas, then you have a, a poisonous atmosphere for, for people that are um, local to where it's being injected. In the report, they actually recommend nitrogen like, over carbon dioxide for inerting gas. They say it's easier to va- vaporize, more accessible, and it's cheaper. It doesn't have the same issues with creating carbon monoxide gas when it's being used. And there's actually been quite a bit of research. Well, there's been some research done showing that the spraying of carbon dioxide gas into the headspace of a burning silo can actually cause an explosion. There's been a couple of hypotheses of why this can be from static electricity to ice crystals and cooling and, and different things. And we actually have a post that I believe Dr. Frank Headland did on dustsafetyscience.com probably two years ago now. We'll try to dig that out and include it in the show notes as well. But for all those reasons and, and probably some other ones that are mentioned in the report, carbon dioxide is not recommended for nerding the headspace or trying to inert the silo itself. Nitrogen is recommended for that. So we've been talking a lot about the different hazards, how these things can escalate. Um, but the question still remains then, what is the recommended approach if you have a silo and it's on fire at your facility? The biggest thing is don't open the silo. Be careful about poisonous gases and that sort of thing. We'll, we'll talk about those cautionary points at the end of this episode. But there are a several-step process outlined in the report. Again, this is not going to be the detailed version. This is just going to be a summary. I'd recommend you check out the report, see how it's specific to your industry or circumstances. But I'll go through, and it's almost, a, I think, 11 or 12 or 13-step process. And we'll highlight some of the main points. So step number one that's recommended in the report is to identify the type of silo and the fire scenario. So this is really a case of looking at the silo, figuring out if it's oxygen-limited silo. If there is ventilation, the headspace, and maybe allowing the, the combustible gases to escape. Um, or if that's going to be building up, but also look at what kind of fire it is. And when was it noticed? How long has it been burning? Is there any way to tell what how big the, the size of the silo fire might be or the smoldering combustion on the inside might be? And just to get an idea of what the response team's working with, a big thing here is to try to determine whether or not there is an open fire in the headspace. There's no open fire in the headspace. This can lead to destruction of the silo, destruction of the contents, 
lead to failure and can also lead to an explosion. So that's one of the big things to try to figure out early on in the, the process. Step number two is to carry out a initial risk assessment. And this really combines with step number one, identifying the type of silo, the fire scenario, but also includes things like determining whether or not there may be areas that are local that may have reduced oxygen concentration or increased carbon monoxide concentration. And we'll get into this another step, but you really need to look at requisitioning gas, me- gas measuring equipment for this. The third step is consider the risk of a gas or dust explosion. So we talked already about there may be an open fire in the headspace. So one big thing is to get an idea if that's actually happening, but also to determine your just your response site layout. You don't want to position the response team or any of the vehicles or the inerting equipment that will be used in a location where it can be impacted if an explosion happens. If you are in a case where there is an open fire in the headspace, this is a pretty immediate danger. It needs to be looked at and inerted safely, but you also want to make sure that uh, you're limiting the amount of personnel and having the correct protective equipment on that personnel that are going up into that, into any of the scaffolding or anything around to, to address issues in the headspace. So the next step is to close the silo to minimize any air entrainment. So here you want to close any gaps, seal openings on the silo, shut off the ventilation systems, really close off anything you can that's going to allow oxygen to, to get in to ventilate and to increase that fire and also uh, decrease the chance of having an explosion. This is going to be needed as you start to inert the whole system as well because you don't want your inert gases escaping from the, the silo while you're trying to fill it up. The next step, and I think we're on to step five here, is to start requisition of nitrogen gas and equipment. So you need to get the nitrogen gas delivered. Again, nitrogen is recommended over carbon dioxide. And because you it's delivered as liquid, you need to get vaporization equipment. A lot of this, again, is included in the report, but it's just important to know that this is a, an important step. Getting that to site is going to have a delay time, and that's going to take a little while. The next step is start to eject nitrogen near the bottom of the silo. So a lot of the time, or traditionally, silo fires might be fought from the top. Again, it's dangerous to have workers up there, but it's also not a very efficient way. If you're trying to eject an inert the silo, if you're ejecting to inert the headspace, that's one thing. But if you're ejecting to inert the actual silo to, to stop the fire, going from the top is not very efficient because you actually have to push all those combustible gases down to get the, the inerting gas in. So if you eject from the bottom, it's actually much easier to push those gas up to the top. That helps with your measuring in the silo headspace as well. You'll be able to tell if you're measuring CO over time, your success rate in quenching the, the fire in the silo. But it's also a more efficient way to to inert the whole silo. So I'm going to give a summary here just because I feel like uh, we've got lost in the steps a bit. So I have step one, identify the type of silo and fire scenario. Step two, carry out an initial risk assessment. Step three, consider the risk of a gas or dust explosion and what that means for your, your siting, your layout, your personnel. Step four, close the silo as much as possible to minimize air entrainment. Step five, start to the requisition process of nitrogen, gas, equipment, and inerting equipment. Step six is to start ejecting nitrogen near the bottom of the silo. Step seven, so this is the next step, is to get together the gas measuring equipment. So you're going to start to measure in the headspace. What's the level of CO that's up there? What's the oxygen level? Is the oxygen level high enough to sustain a, an explosive atmosphere? Again, there's actual numbers and uh, levels that are specified in the report, both for the amount of inert and gas needed, what levels are hazardous. I'm not going to give these in the, the podcast episode, but you can check out the report to, to get those. The next step, step eight, is an optional step, and this is to apply foam 
to the headspace if necessary. So we mentioned already that if you have a fire, an open surface fire in the headspace, this can be you know very destructive. It can start to burn the the top of the silo. It can also be carried into the adjacent silos through conveyor systems. So this is a case where you may need to do something with the headspace right away. In the report, they talk about applying foam in the silo headspace. We talked about some difficulties with water already, but the big thing here is to avoid only letting enough oxygen in or minimizing the amount of oxygen you're letting in as you start to apply this foam to put out that fire in the headspace. Anyone's up there also needs to be wearing protective gear. There's a whole chapter devoted to this in the report. So I encourage the listener that's interested in this area to look at that. So that's an optional step eight is applying foam in the headspace if necessary to avoid or to quench out a surface fire that's going on there. Again, this isn't going to put out the, the fire, the seated root, deeply seeded fire that's inside the silo. Um, that's going to be nitrogen inerting from the bottom, but this is a protective measure to avoid having an explosion, having a failure of the silo, or having that escalate to a larger issue. Step nine is to start to inert the silo. So there's a lot of material in the report covering how to do this, but essentially you're using lances, nitrogen lances in the bottom of the silo to start to pump nitrogen in. You're measuring your oxygen concentration at the top, you're measuring your combustible gas concentration, and you want to keep injecting nitrogen at a rate that's specified or different rates are specified in the report until you get a, a, a quenched condition in your silo. So an environment that's too, that's inerted and can't sustain combustion. So the silo, the fire, the deep seated fire puts itself out. You don't have a hazard of an escalating fire explosion incident and you start to discharge. So that's step number 10 then, beginning to discharge once the fire is under control. So once your gas measurement has hit a certain level, you begin to discharge the material. There's actually a step number 11 here that is planned for a long discharge operation. This takes a long time. Going slow is really important and paramount. Again, so you don't disturb it, so you don't have a dust pollution, so you don't have an escalating issue where you, you knock down the silo or anything like that. Step number 12 is to sort the discharge material. You should be sorting as comes out into two piles, burnt material and, and material that's still good. There's a couple reasons for this. One is the material that's still good may be, may be used by the facility. But two, you can tell, you can look at that material that's still good, that pile, and say, avoid any embers getting in there and causing a, you know, a secondary fire in that raw material as well. And then the 13 and final step is just to continue to inject the gas while you're doing the whole discharge operation. So you need to keep injecting the gas as you pull the material out. You'll have a higher volume of air or higher volume empty space. You'll need more inert gas. And you want to keep doing this so that the oxygen concentration in the, the silo doesn't exceed 5% so that you don't have a flare-up of the combustion material and don't actually cause a, an explosion or anything to happen like that. So that was a really quick summary of the 13-step the process to, to a firefighting response to a silo fire. Again, this is avoid an escalation, avoid losing the entire silo, avoid losing the entire silo contents, and avoid having something like an explosion or a larger-scale incident happening while you're trying to respond to these silo fires. So there's some cautionary points that they note in the report during firefighting efforts. One is, we've already talked about this, but do not enter the building without gas monitoring equipment or breathing apparatus. It's very dangerous because you have elevated concentrations of carbon monoxide, you have low, lower concentrations of oxygen, and you can have a, either a poisonous or a, an asphyx, asphyxiation environment. So you need to be monitoring for that and have correct breathing apparatus on. Another cautionary point that we already talked about, but do not use water inside the silo, especially for pellets. This can cause failure. It can cause the pellets to swell or just the, the pressure from the water to topple the silo. 
it bears saying again, do not open the silo. And we talked about this with a previous podcast episode with Dr. Christopher Bloor. I think it might have been episode 31, it may have been 38 as well. And his big re- his biggest recommendation was do not disturb the dust while there's a fire because it can lead to an explosion. And this just bears repeating again as a cautionary point during the firefighting efforts. You really want to avoid as much as you can opening the silo. The last cautionary point I'll leave with is that liquid nitrogen is actually very cold, so you can end up having a frostbite injury, and this may be important for the fixings that you're using for the gas release system as well. So if this sounds like a complicated process, it's because it it is a complicated process. Responding to a a fire in a silo takes a lot of time, takes a lot of skill, and it really requires the, the response team, the owners of the silo, and the industry operators all to really be on the same page beforehand about what they're going to do, what's going to happen, having the right equipment in place. And the report actually ends with a a list of preventative and preparatory measures. We're just going to talk about a couple of these. So definitely check out the full report, again, at dustsafetyscience.com slash 44 to get the full details. But I know some of these are actually going on in industries in North America today where they're starting to do this. And they this is really one of the reasons I want to highlight this report in this podcast episode is that these are some measures that can be put in to make this whole process easier. So the first one is to install a fixed gas distribution when possible. When you're actually setting up the silos, if you put the piping in for a inerting system, you can get much better flow rates. You can quench the fire much quicker. So this is about putting nozzles in different areas inside the silo itself. So you're not just going in from one or two or a couple points at the bottom. You actually get a nice even distribution if you install that system before you need it. The report actually gets a, gives a bunch of recommendations on best ways to install the the different heads of this this fixed gas distribution system or the different nozzles, what kind of nozzles to use. And we're not going to get into that detail. Just know that that's there as well. The second point is to preparatory measure is to install a system to easily and safely inert the silo headspace. This one alone can really cause a reduction in the number of people that are being injured responding to these silo fires. We've had several, several, several incidents over the last just three years in the combustible incident database of an explosion happening, a hatch in a hatch, or somebody standing on the scaffolding atop of a silo, knocking them off and causing um, severe injuries to those, either to the workers, if they're up there, or to uh, the firefighting team. So if you actually install a system to safely inert that silo headspace, one that can be used without actually letting oxygen get in, that uh, has a steel piping or whatever that goes up to the top of the silo, and you can inert the headspace using that system that's already in place, then it's there, and you don't need to have a team going up and, and inspecting the, the headspace as well. The last point I want to leave with, and this is one that actually requires a community effort, but it's ensuring access to mobile gas equipment and sources. So in a lot of these facilities, they may be remote. They may not have access to nitrogen or carbon dioxide or other nerding gases. And again, nitrogen is the one that's recommended in this report. And what I've seen some industries doing is banding together, saying, okay, we're going to actually buy some of this equipment ourselves and have it in a central location where it can be distributed out to the different facilities that we have in the same local area. Make sure we have a, a source of nitrogen gas that can be sufficient. And he talks about this a bit in the report. I think it's a really important way to go about addressing these, these hazards over the long term. It also gets people talking. It gets the regulators talking with the industries, with the firefighters before something happens. So if there's a plan that's put in place to respond to a silo fire and avoid having it escalate into a silo explosion or other serious incident, 
as the, the firefighting efforts going on. So that's the conclusion of this episode, talking about preventing stored silo explosions during firefighting efforts. We talked about a lot of different parts of this. We talked about why we, we care in the first place or preventing these sort of explosions. It's because they do happen, and they're actually causing injuries and, and fatal injuries to, to folks around the world, both the workers at these facilities, but also first responders. We cover quite a bit of material that's, that's from a single report, Silo Fires, Fire Extinguishing, and Preventative and Preparatory Measures by Henry Persons. Again, he is based out of the SP Technical Research Institute of Sweden. And this is a really great report on really a new novel technology that's just being implemented around the world in different locations today to better respond to these type of, these type of fires and explosions, stopping explosions from happening and these type of fires from escalating. We gave a general overview. We talked about how do these incidents escalate. We gave the different steps to a firefighting response. We talked over some cautionary points. Then we discussed some select preventative and preparatory measures that can get you and your facility and your community and your firefighters and your regulators all on the same page to start to respond to these type of issues as they, they occur. As I noted at the, the outset and throughout, you can get this actual report in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 44 for this episode. We'll also try to dig up that post from Frank, Dr. Frank Hedlund, put that as well there as well, and any other resources that we talked about during this episode. As always, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I think hope you found it interesting in some of your work as well. Give you an idea of what some of the new and novel techniques are out there for fight, doing things like fighting silo fires. If you have any questions, you can email me directly at chris at dustsafetyscience.com or go to dustsafetyscience.com slash ask and ask your question there, and we'll bring a subject matter expert on. We'll get somebody on to talk about that as well. So as always, I want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. I appreciate the work that you're doing, industry handling combustible dust every day around the world. <laughs>